Bless his name, bless his name. Hallelujah. Would you stretch your hands out to the Lord? Let the redeemed of him say so today. Just bless his name. Can you do that? Just praise him. Hallelujah. We glorify your name, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, move in this place this morning. Glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we stand here today fully aware of the fact that, Lord, the words that we are about to hear cannot be comprehended. They cannot be understood without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, without the mind of Christ, because the words of the Lord are foolishness to man. So, Lord, unless you open up our eyes, unless you minister to our hearts, then we will not be able to run with the things we hear today. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just take over. We pray that we would submit ourselves completely to you so that we may leave here today with a greater understanding of our desperate need for the Holy Spirit that we have sung about today. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Not some things, we can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, show us today those areas that we are still clinging to and trying to figure out on our own and help us to surrender completely and totally to you, absolutely dependent upon your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Give God the glory in his house here this morning. Amen and amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Bless your name, O Lord. Bless your name, O Lord. Hallelujah. 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 We didn't even get to our message in the first service. I don't know how many of you heard. God just took over this service and it was just a mighty move of the Lord. And I, you know, it doesn't always have to be that way. And, you know, when you come into a second service, you're like, what does God want to do here today? And I just want to make sure that as we move forward, even with the message this morning, that we just walk lightly, that we tread humbly so that at any point during the message, the Lord can just interrupt and do what He wants to do. I was sharing in the first service, and I'm going to say it in this service. The day of church as usual is over. The day, you know, if, if you come to church and you can predict what's coming next, then really, are we being led by the Holy Spirit? And that's not to say, even Pastor Joe said it in the opening prayer, we come prepared, we're ready to do what God has called us to do, but never, never, never at the expense of the freedom of the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. It's His service. And, you know, we're just going to allow Him because I have seen too much in my lifetime to just become a comfortable, predictable church. 
we're going to be open to whatever God has for us when we're together so that we would know that truth alone puffs up, but the Spirit brings life in Jesus' mighty name. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Amen. You've got to give God the opportunity to move like that in your midst. In Jesus' name. Well, as you remain standing here this morning, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Powerful portion of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to begin at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. Listen to the word of the Lord today. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony or the mysteries of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of Almighty God. I want your faith to be in the power of God in this church, in Jesus' name. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I'd like to take just a few moments and talk to you about the necessity of the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely necessary that a man and a woman be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because without Him, you can do nothing with Him. All things are possible. The Holy Spirit shows us that what we are called to live as here in this is impossible without His Spirit. But with His Spirit, everything here is possible for the glory and the honor of His great name. The necessity of the Holy Spirit. Father, just be with us as we open up Your Word. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone again said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord praise again in His house. And before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him in Jesus' name. You know, through the years here at Bethel, you have heard me say on a number of occasions that one of the keys to interpreting Scripture, uh, of understanding Scripture, and properly applying Scripture to your life is context of understanding the context in which the scriptures were written. It's very important for you and I to understand and remember that scripture was not written in a vacuum. It was not written in a bubble, which is to say that men just didn't sit down and start writing things. 
There was purpose behind it. There was intentionality behind it. They were addressing issues that were going on in the church. They were addressing issues that were happening in their communities and how the church needed to respond to that. Um, They were writing an accurate account of certain events so that they could be remembered and transferred for generations to come after them. So there was always a purpose there. Whether it was to bring to their minds things they had never been taught before or it was to clarify things that had previously been stated or to even bring them back into a place of remembrance to remind them of, again of things that had been said. There was always a purpose behind everything that was written. And it is imperative when we're studying Scripture to know the context of those words so that we know exactly why they were being spoken. Not just what was spoken, but why were these things spoken? What were they addressing? What were they dealing with? If you are anything like me, you have found that there are very few things in life that are more frustrating than when you are taken out of context. How many of you have ever had anybody take you out of context? They have taken things that you did say, but in removing it from the context in which it was said, they actually misrepresented your words. They, they used it for their own advantage. It is very discouraging when someone takes you out of context. And as a pastor, I've had that happen to me on a number of occasions, whether it's something that I've said in a message or it's something that I said in a counseling session. Someone just latches on to a phrase or to a sentence that I said, and then they take it out of the context and use it and manipulate it for their own advantage or to even come against me with it. And it's very frustrating when someone takes you out of context. And we can take the Word of God out of context as well. All of us have heard the story of the young man that was just really desperate for direction in his life and he had been praying and seeking God for a word so that he would know exactly what God wanted him to do and he was frustrated because after all of his prayer there still was no clarity at all and finally in frustration he said, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up the Bible. I'm going to put my finger down and the verse that is underneath my finger is the word from you. And so he flung his Bible open, he slammed his finger down on Matthew 27 and verse 5, which said Judas hanged himself. And he knew that wasn't the word of the Lord, so he closed the Bible and then opened it back up, slammed his finger, this time upon Luke 10 verse 37, which says, go and do likewise. And then he said, that can't be the Lord. So he closed the Bible and he opened it one more time, slammed his finger down, this time on John 13, verse 27, which says, what you do, do quickly. (laughs) Now, all of those things are in your Bible, but they are also surrounded in a context. And that context not only preserves the purity of the word that was spoken, but also protects 
the individual that is reading those words so that they would know how to rightly apply those scriptures to their hearts and their lives. So we have to be very careful that we understand the context because sometimes we miss what God is saying because we do not understand what it was actually being said for, what it is actually addressing. And that is particularly important with the text that we have before us this morning. I want you to notice with me very quickly verse 1 where Paul says, When I came to you. Now obviously he is speaking to the Christians in the city of Corinth. So he is referring back to when he first came to the city of Corinth. When I came to you. Verse 3, he states that he was with them in weakness, fear, and in much trembling. And then in verse 2, he states that he was determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So when you read these words, it begs the question from the one that is inquisitive, the one that really wants to learn, given the fact that Paul came to the city of Corinth in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, what happened to Paul before he arrived there that brought him to such a broken position? Where did he come from? What event had transpired in his life before he arrives there in Corinth that actually brought him to that particular state of weakness, fear, trembling, determined not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Where had he been and what did he go through? Well, the good news is that at least in this case, we don't have to wonder we don't have to guess. We actually know where he was and we know exactly what happened to him. He was in the city of Athens in Greece. And the reason that we know that is because there is a parallel of this in Acts chapter 17. So I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to very quickly go over to Acts 17. Would you do that? Acts 17, we're going to pick it up at verse number 22 in a moment. As you're turning there, let me just kind of set this up for you. The Apostle Paul is waiting in the city of Athens for the arrival of two of his colleagues, Silas and Timothy. As he is waiting in this city, he is deeply moved and troubled within his heart because he sees that the entire city is given over to idolatry. Finally, he is moved to a place where he has to do something and he goes into the synagogues and then ultimately into the marketplaces and he begins to preach to them Jesus Christ. As he is preaching, there are philosophers in Athens that hear him speaking and they hear him saying things that they have never heard spoken before and they're intrigued with it. So they invite Paul to come to the Areopagus. And the Areopagus was a place where philosophers would gather, where teachers and professors and intellects would gather together to hear any new teaching, to hear any new instruction. 
The Athenians were very, very passionate about knowledge. The problem is, is that in all of their learning, they never came to the knowledge of the truth. They were addicted to knowing more and more, but they never were able to arrive at the truth that set them free. And so they invited Paul to go there and to talk to them because he was saying things that they had never heard before. Now this was what Paul had been praying for. Paul could not wait to get to Greece. He, he wanted this opportunity. So this is his big moment. This is the moment that he has been waiting for. And this is what we read in Acts 17, beginning with verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Understand the context of that. The Athenians wanted to worship all of the gods. Now we know that there is only one God, but in their mind there were multitudes of gods and they wanted to serve all of the gods and they were afraid that they might offend a God that they were not aware of, so they built an altar to the unknown God and would worship there just so that all of the gods would be appeased. Well, listen to what he goes on to say. I love this. Therefore... The one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. I love that. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the earth, all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring." Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in the righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Arapagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. And look at verse 1 of chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. So this is where he was, and this is what happened to him before he arrived in Corinth. And it would appear, though I have to admit, that there is an argument to be made to the contrary, that the Apostle Paul was deeply impacted by the events that had happened in, in uh, Athens. That he was deeply affected by less 
than stellar results. You see, these were not the results that Paul was used to seeing, nor was this a message that he was used to delivering. For the very first time, and I believe the last time, the Apostle Paul tried to be very articulate. He tried to, tried to be a statesman. He tried to be very clever. He tried to really impress these philosophers and these intellects of the day with his superior knowledge. And the Bible tells us that as he does this, some believed, only some. It actually tells us that most of them left believing that Paul was insane for believing in a resurrection. And there were some other ones that said, you know what, Paul, we'll hear you again on this matter when it's a little more convenient to us. There were only a few that believed. And many of us would say, well, that would be wonderful. Yes, but that's a far cry from some of the results that Paul had seen in other cities where entire cities were turned upside down by the power of Almighty God. And so it, it could be, and I believe that this is the context of 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, that he is actually looking back to that moment and that Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians that when I came to you, I had been badly rocked by the events that happened to me in Athens. I tried to be eloquent. I tried to be polished. I tried to be clever, even quoting some of the poets of those philosophers. I wanted to impress them, but it really had little impact upon their lives. And when I came to you, I was weak, I was fearful, I was trembling because I had failed. But I was determined when I came to you that I would know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified, knowing fully well that it would offend some of you and others would find it foolish. But to those who would believe, it would be the power of God unto salvation. It seems to me that Paul was saying, learning from my past experiences, I didn't rely on excellence of speech and persuasive words of human wisdom, but instead I relied upon the demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but would be in the power of Almighty God. I don't want to do anything to distract you from the power of God. I don't want to impress you with great rhetoric and speaking ability but I want you to have your faith and your confidence in the power of Almighty God that changes lives in Jesus' name. Now listen, yes, give the Lord praise for that. Now look, I don't want to be too hard. This is the great Apostle Paul. And I do realize that scholars are divided on to whether this is the context or not. To me, it is the context. As I've studied it, there's just no way around it, at least in my mind. But if we do not, at the very least, consider the possibility that this is the context, then we end up shortchanging ourselves because every one of us in this room have been there and some of us are there this morning. Every one of us in this room have faced a critical time in our lives when we thought we knew what to do, when we thought we knew what to say, when we thought we knew how to handle it, when we thought we knew the direction that needed to be taken, and to execute that plan only to see it collapse before our very eyes. 
Some of you are there right now. Some of you are facing a very critical time with your children. All of a sudden, your children have become hardened. They don't want to have anything to do with church. They don't want anything to do with God. And in some cases, they don't even want anything to do with you. Some of you are facing a critical time in your marriage. Some of you have reached a critical time in your own personal life. And no one else knows the struggle that you're having right now. But because of past failures and past defeats, you've been left weak and fearful, trembling, not knowing what to do. But what Paul learned from his experience is what we must learn from our experiences as well. We cannot, we must not lean upon our own understanding, upon our experience, upon our training, upon our degrees, upon our intellectual prowess, even upon our willpower. We must learn how to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God Almighty. The Bible still says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And my prayer is that in this critical hour that we're living in, that we would begin to realize that if we do not have the Spirit of God living inside of us, we are never going to make it. That the only way we're going to survive in the days ahead is by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God Almighty. Come on, somebody give God the praise if you believe that this morning. Listen, to all of our guests that are here today, I just want you to know, and I said this in the first service, and and I don't want to seem disingenuous. I don't want to sound like I'm not concerned, because I really am. But you know, there is a movement right now where churches have got to be interested about what everybody wants and we don't want to do anything to offend anyone and that has caused us i believe to drift away from our true identity listen if you're not comfortable with expression of worship if you're not comfortable with just allowing the Holy Spirit to move the way that He wants to, if you're not comfortable with coming to church and being uncomfortable, then you know what? There are wonderful, godly churches that are out there that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that love Him, and they're a little more subdued. And you need to find a church where you feel comfortable. But I cannot move away or abandon what I know to be true and that is that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to move as He wants to because what God can do in just one moment of time is more than what a million sermons can do for you. I don't want your faith in fancy preaching and in fancy tongue work. I want your faith to be in the power of Almighty God to save, to heal and deliver in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give God the praise if you believe that. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may remember what Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what he says beginning at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death and then listen to what he says here 
If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, which I believe is a clear reference to the Holy Spirit and His power. You see, what Paul was saying here is that when I was a Pharisee. Before I ever met Jesus Christ, I was a learned man. I was an educated man. I studied the Old Testament scriptures and I knew them like the back of my hand. I excelled above all of my contemporaries. There was no Pharisee like me. I was a religious leader. I knew the Old Testament law. I knew the Old Testament prophets. But the problem is, is that my teaching and all of my instruction taught me a lot about God, but it did not allow me to know God. It did not empower me to know Him. Yes, I knew a lot about Him. I knew a lot about His character. I knew a lot about His nature. The, The Old Testament Scriptures revealed Him to me, but it did not empower me to know Him. It wasn't until I met Jesus Christ that all of a sudden I began to know the Father because Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no man comes unto the father except through me once I met Jesus that's when I began to know almighty God and now he says everything that I once thought was gain I counted as loss I now count it as garbage because I realize that it is only in Christ that I may know almighty God and I'm spending the rest of my days being conformed to his death so that I might attain the resurrection in my body and in my mind and in my spirit by the Holy Spirit of Almighty God and I'm going to tell you there are too many of us right now that know the Bible but we do not know the God of the Bible because knowledge will only take you so far at some point the Spirit of God has got to abide within you in Jesus mighty name We cannot put our faith and our confidence in man's wisdom, in persuasive arguments, but it must remain completely and totally in the power of God Almighty through His Holy Spirit. i got to tell you, I wonder how many of us have walked up to a challenge in life and just said, I've got this. I wonder how many of us wake up every morning and say, I've got this. Now listen, I don't know any professing Christian that would be bold enough to say that that's what they say. You know, nobody is going to get up that professes to be a Christian and say, Lord, I got this, you know, don't, don't worry about me today. Nobody's going to say that. But I'm going to tell you, if you leave your house in the morning before you have a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you are saying to God, I've got this, Lord, no need for you to intervene. I'm going to tell you, we need to make sure before we walk out of our house in the morning that we have been endued with power from on high. What we are facing in the workplace, what we are facing in college campuses, what we are facing in the schools today, what we are facing in marriage and raising our children, what we are facing in this hour cannot be taken care of with human wisdom and intellect and understanding we need discernment from heaven we need power from almighty God so that we can walk with strength in Jesus mighty name can somebody give God the praise are we really men and women of the spirit Are we led by the spirit directed by the spirit walking in the spirit or do we just Get by on excellent speech, on persuasive words of human wisdom. 
have we become so indoctrinated with the Christian lingo that we just persuade ourselves that we are men and women of the Spirit when in fact we are not. If we were led by the Spirit and walked in the Spirit, we wouldn't be making many of the decisions we're making. We wouldn't be making the choices we're making. We wouldn't be marrying the people we're marrying. We wouldn't be dating the people that we're dating. We wouldn't be facing the same struggles over and over again. Experience the same brokenness and pain over and over again. Nor would we possess that lack of interest in the things of God any longer. If the Spirit was truly abiding in us, we would long for the very same things that the Spirit of God would be longing for. Come on, somebody, say amen to that. Do you, can you honestly say, I thirst and hunger for the same things God thirsts and hungers for? Do I hunger for righteousness? Do I have a thirst for holiness? Do I thirst for pleasing the Father in heaven? Or is it just, is it just a word game for me? I like the way you're shouting right now. As we were praying this week, I just felt the Lord speaking to my heart. How many more children are going to have to slip into eternity without Christ? How many more marriages are going to have to fail? How many more lives are going to have to collapse? How many more of our children are going to have to get strung out on drugs? How much longer will addiction have to remain out of control? How perverted is our nation going to have to become before finally the church says enough is enough? How much more can we actually take until we finally say, I don't have the Holy Spirit and I, the evidence of it is that I live a powerless life. That when I come into church, I lift up my hands, but it's only because that's what expected of me. I had, somebody had to tell me to lift my hands because it was not in me. I'm going to tell you folks, if you're spirit filled, when you're in this house, the the soon, the moment that the the, uh, guitar strums, your hands should be right up in the air. When the moment comes that they may begin to worship the Lord, then you should begin to seek Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't need anybody to be a cheerleader. Josh and the other worship leaders shouldn't have to be sitting here every week saying, come on people, praise Him. We should be praising them down in Jesus' mighty name. What has happened to us? Can we admit we don't have the Holy Spirit? I said this in the first service and you know, I'm not worried I guess at this point in my life of making people happy and winning friends and influencing people. You know, I've been here for 21 years. I've done a lot of weddings. And uh, I've been to a lot of wedding receptions. And it's, it's so amazing because at some point during the reception, the band starts playing and everybody empties out onto that dance floor. And I've seen a lot of you. <laughs> okay. I grew up in a church where you didn't dance. It took me a little while to get over some of that stuff, I'll tell you. But, you know, I have, and I'm not judging anyone, but I've just seen some of you. You get out there on that dance floor, they crank that worldly music, and you don't care who's watching you. You make fun of people that are watching you and judge you. 
you get out there and you just begin to move and your hands begin to flail and you laugh and there's excitement on you and I, I just see you expressing yourself, you know, maybe in ways you shouldn't be, but you're, you're doing it. And then on Sunday morning, I watch you come in and you're like this. I see it, folks. And if I see it, God sees it. If God can watch you jiggle yourself to journey, then folks, why can't you come into the house of God and celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? God sees it. Come on, somebody. It's time for us to realize we're not filled with the Spirit of the Lord. I know, we, we don't like it. I've watched it. I, I'm, I'm just going to pastor you now. Listen, to, I've seen young men and young women. They were single and they were, had a heart for God. They went after him with everything inside of them. And they just said, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And they were passionate about the Lord. And then they started dating. And then that date turned into a marriage. And before long, that passion's gone. And they come to church still, and they sit there, and they have a form of godliness, but the power of God is being denied. And I see them, they no longer have that drive, they no longer have that passion, they buy a house, they buy the car, they have their kids, and before long, again, their home is just a very religious home, but there is no passion, there is no fire. You don't see them in church a lot on Sundays anymore, and you ask them, where are you? And they say, well, you know, our family had a gathering there, and we had a party here, and we had an event over here, and all of a sudden you see God taking a, a back seat, and they'll tell you, no, 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 it's not. And then their kids fall away from the Lord, and they come back and say, I don't understand why this happened. And I'm going to say it was a mystery to you. You did not be led by the Spirit of God. You were led by the Spirit of this world instead of trusting God and believing when you bring your children to the house of God, He can get a hold of them. Instead, you believed a lie and kept them out of the presence of God. Folks, we've got to get back to the power of the Spirit of the living God because it's not about providing a great life for them here. It's preparing them for all of eternity. In Jesus' mighty name. I talk with persuasive words and human wisdom. I have the excellent speech. I sound like a good Christian. But would you be willing to admit I have no power? I'm still dealing with the same anger I've always dealt with, the same critical spirit I've always had. I still deal with the same lust, the same gossip, the same depression. When will I finally admit I do not have the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, I pastored for a long time, and I'm going to tell you, it is not about getting God to pour out His Spirit. Because I'll guarantee you this, God is much more willing to pour out His Spirit upon us. The problem is, is getting people to admit, I need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have never had one. And you're just going through the motions. Some of you have, but it's been a long time since you have been refilled 
with this. You know, the Bible talks that we are to be filled and refilled, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I say of your life, they're filled with the Spirit. Do your decisions and your destiny and your dreams, does your life reflect God lives inside of you? Or is it just you? You see, I've learned in my own life that I cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit until I'm empty of myself. The Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say be a quarter filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say be half full of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say to be three quarters filled with the Holy Spirit. It says be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit cannot come into me until there's there's nothing left of me in me. He can't fill me until there's nothing left of me in me. i got to be dead to myself. In other words, you must come to the end of yourself. We must come to the end of ourselves before the Holy Spirit can come. And I see that reflected in 1 Corinthians 2, in verse number 3, when Paul says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Paul was describing the fact that he had come to the end of himself in Athens. He had tried on his own strength, on his own ability, and it left him weak, it left him afraid, it left him in much trembling. And he literally just said, when I came to you, I was so frightened because I had just seen what Paul could do in his own strength and it wasn't pretty. And I was determined it wasn't going to be the same way in Corinth. Can I ask you, when was the last time that you trembled at the thought of trying to live your life without the Holy Spirit? The truth is you will never seek the Holy Spirit in your life until you finally come to the end of yourself when you've come to a place of total weakness, a place where you possess no strength to even attempt to go at it alone, when you've come to a place where you're so gripped with fear that you do not move, but you tremble, realizing unless God moves in your life, you will never make it. I realize that there are a lot of people that come to the Lord when... They're in a time of crisis. It's amazing the people that get serious about God when they're in crisis. And they'll come to my office and they'll say, Pastor, I know that I I need to give this all over to the Lord because of some health crisis that took place or some financial crisis that took place or some marital crisis, some family crisis. And they immediately come and say, I know I got to get everything right with God. But as soon as the crisis passes, they're right back at it again. I want to ask you today, do you get serious about God only when you need something from Him? Or do you thirst to know Him on a personal, intimate level? Because that is what separates those that fly by night and those who literally stand the test of time Anybody can come to the Lord when they feel like they're going to lose their marriage, when they feel like they're going to lose their home, when they feel like they're going to lose their kids, when they feel like they're going to lose their life. Anybody can come to Him then. But I want to know when life is good, do you still press in? Because what you realize is what you need is not what He can give you, but you need Him. Do you want to know Him? Do you want a relationship with Him? That's the question. 
We're not talking about just coming when we have a need. We're talking about going after God at all times. We're talking about desperation. We're talking about total and complete abandonment of self. And I believe it. That's why he said in verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Notice that word determined. The word determined there literally means judged or ruled. And it's the idea of a judge that examines all of the evidence that is presented to him. And literally what Paul is saying here is that I have examined all of the evidence that happened to me in Athens. I examined my message. I examined the response of the people. I examined my intent and my motive. I examined it all. And I now make my ruling that when I came to Corinth, I wasn't going to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why did He make such a big deal of Jesus? Because Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto Myself. And the only way that the Holy Spirit will be poured out is if Jesus is exalted. Remember, Jesus said, When He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will glorify Me. If you want the Holy Spirit, you've got to lift up Jesus Christ and live for His glory and for His honor alone. But I want to show you something else. For the true follower of Jesus Christ, Christ and Him crucified moves well beyond what He has done for you and moves into a place of what He has called you to, a crucified life. To preach Christ and Him crucified is not just to preach what Jesus has done, how He died, and how He rose again. It is to embrace the idea that I am to be crucified with Christ myself. Remember Jesus said, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Daily, one of the Gospels says, that daily we are to die to ourself so that we might live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul put it this way in Galatians 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It is not just about Jesus dying for us. It is about now you and I dying for him. It is now in light of His great mercy presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing unto Him, which is our reasonable act of worship. He says, I am crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, he's not talking about the citizens of the world, the people of the world. We're not dead to them. We're not crucified to them. What he's talking about here is the, the mindset of the world. He, he's talking about the, the way the, the world makes its decisions, the, the world view, if you will, of those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Probably the best way to illustrate it is what John said in 1 John chapter 2. Some of you know this. He said, all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Summed up, that means whatever feels good, whatever looks good, 
and whatever seems good. That is the lens through which the world makes all of its choices and all of its decisions. That is literally their worldview. What they choose to do with their life, what they choose to do with their money, what they choose to do with their resources is based entirely upon what feels good, what looks good, and what seems good, what pleases me, which is an anti-Christ spirit because literally it is for the glory of God that we live. But in that mindset, it is saying it is for my glory that I live. So I am going to make all of my choices and all of my decisions based upon what feels good, what seems good, what looks good. But what Paul said is that as a believer, we are crucified to that way of thinking. That we don't make our decisions based upon what feels good what seems good, what looks good, but we base our decisions upon what glorifies Almighty God. We are crucified to this world, and crucifixion is a symbol of death. He's saying you're dead to this world. And why is that so important? Because then the only way I can be raised to life is by the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You've got to get to a place where you realize I am powerless to live my life without the power of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. It's that simple. Until you've died to yourself, you can never be raised to life by the Holy Spirit. It's reflected in that word weakness. That word weakness is used all through the New Testament. But one of the most celebrated times is when Paul was referring to a thorn in the flesh. Remember that story? Paul is telling us that he had gone into heaven and he had been given revelation that no one had ever seen before. He was so humbled by the revelation that he was given that he wouldn't even refer to himself in the first person but yet spoke of himself as, uh, I knew a man. He was very humbled and he said, it's not even lawful for me to write the things that I saw. But then he goes on and he says, but in order that I would not be puffed up by the abundance of revelation that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. He calls it a messenger from Satan was sent there to buffet me or to harass me. And it was there to keep him humble. It was there to keep him in a place where he realized, unless I am filled today with the Holy Spirit, I'll never make it through the day. I need the Spirit every single day in order to make it. And that was always before him so that he would never become puffed up, but would always rely upon the Lord. He didn't know that initially. And that's why he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But the Lord spoke to me and said, my grace is sufficient for you. How many of you believe his grace is sufficient? And please, please understand that when he talks about the grace of God there, he is not talking about an attitude from which he ministers to him. He is talking about divine influence. That's what the word grace means. It is the divine influence of God upon the heart of man. And so what Jesus was saying to him, please, Paul, understand, it's not the absence of this thorn in the flesh that you will find strength in. It is in my power upon your life that will sustain you even with the thorn in the flesh still there. And what every one of us need to realize is that it is not the absence of problems that will give us strength. It is the power of God in the midst of all of our struggles that will give us the power to overcome in Jesus' mighty name. 
He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, listen to this, is made perfect. It's complete in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. I love this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, I learned a very valuable lesson in all of this. And that is that Christ's power is only made perfect when I finally admit to my weakness until I become weak. God's power cannot be perfected in my life. And we need to learn the same thing. That as long as there's a little bit left in you, then God cannot come alongside you. You've got to literally die to yourself and know that His power can only be made perfect in your weakness. In Jesus' mighty name. Don't let anyone steal this from you. Don't let anyone rob you of it. Paul said this, to the Colossians in Colossians 2 and verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty tradition and empty deceit, excuse me, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. That word cheat is so important. Beware lest anyone cheat you through the philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. The word cheat there was a word that was used in Paul's day to describe someone taking captive or seizing the spoils of a victory. If you were a pirate and you you know, boarded a ship that you had taken captive and you seized its cargo, that was the word. They were cheating you of that. Paul says, I want you to be aware that right in the church you go to, there are men and women who are trying to seize the power of God for miracles in your life through philosophy, man's wisdom, through empty deceit. Empty deceit would be lies that promise much but but deliver nothing. Traditions of men, these are just family sayings. Wisdom that comes from mom and dad but has no biblical precedent whatsoever. And just the basic principles of the world. And you know what? You need to be aware that even right here in Bethel, there are those who will try to cheat you out of the power of God by using philosophy and man-made wisdom. And if you believe it, you'll never see the power of God happen in your heart and your life. There's some of you, you've never seen the power of God because you still live on man-made wisdom. And mom told me this, and daddy taught me that, and grandma sat me on the knee and told me to live like this. And you're listening to that rather than the word of God and saying, I don't care what man tells me. This is what the Bible says. And I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit will deliver upon the promise is made by Almighty God in Jesus' name. I, th- I was thinking the other day of Daniel. You know, many of you know the story of Daniel, and we could go into great lengths, but I love this story. Daniel was a very high-ranking government official, first in the administration of of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and then ultimately with King Darius under the Medo-Persian Empire. And he was a high-ranking official with others, and those others, they were so jealous of Daniel because Daniel possessed an excellent spirit. The Holy Spirit was with him, and they knew it, and they had to find a way to, to bring him down. 
And so they concocted this referendum and they brought it before Darius and they said, Darius, you are such an important man and I think everyone needs to be reminded of that. So for the next 30 days, let's just say that anyone that prays to any other person but you is going to be thrown into the lion's den because they knew that Daniel was committed to prayer and seeking the face of God. Well, you know what? Darius took a look at the bill. He probably didn't even consider the implications of it. It sounded like a good idea to him, and he signed it into law. And Daniel got a copy of it. And Daniel knew that his practice was three times a day. He would go before the open windows in his room, pointing towards Jerusalem, and he would pray to the God of Israel. And everyone walking by saw him praying. And now he has this edict that says if he prays to anyone but Darius, he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. It's only for 30 days. And he's got to make a decision. And you can already hear man's philosophy. You can already hear man-made wisdom. Daniel, listen. You can still pray to your God. You don't have to just go there at the windows. You can go into a private closet. You can just pray in your own spirit. You don't have to stop praying. You just have to make sure no one sees you praying to Almighty God. There's a way for you to get around this and to compromise and still keep your life. But Daniel knew that if he did not continue, as he always had, his testimony was going to be robbed in the eyes of everyone that saw him pray three times a day from his open window. He knew that he would lose favor with God and more importantly he knew that he would miss out on an opportunity to see God make a way where there was no other way and so undeterred by what he read he went right over to that open window, fell upon his knees and cried out to the God of Israel and yes he was arrested and yes he was thrown into the lion's den but the next day he came out with naughty even a scratch upon him because he trusted God and he saw the power of God at some point you got to make a decision are you going to lean upon man's understanding or are you going to stick with the word of God and believe that the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do what you cannot do and to make a way where there seems to be no other way in Jesus name don't rely on flesh you rely on the spirit of God why am I telling you these things today? I'm going to close with this. Will, you can come. Scared a baby. Probably scared more people too. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And the power of God is released on those who are obedient to the word of the Lord. That's the connection that's here. This is not the power of God versus the word of God. They're one and the same. When you obey the word of God, the power of God is there to strengthen you. But I love what he says there in the demonstration of the spirit and power. I'm preaching this way today because I don't want your faith and your confidence to be in man's wisdom, but in the power of God. Jesus name the other day um, was Friday night Josh my son Linda my daughter-in-law came to our prayer on Friday night we were praying for families 
And then afterwards, they just came over. And I, I got to the house probably a half an hour, maybe, maybe 40 minutes ahead of everybody else. And it was a beautiful night Friday. And I just love being outside on a, on a nice uh, spring evening. And I was just sitting out there and I was thinking about the Holy Spirit because I can't tell you, I'm burning. I, I, just, I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning and I prayed. God, I need a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Your pastor's hungry. I don't know about anybody else, not for food, for the Holy Spirit. I, I need God. Is there anybody else here that just, I can't take anymore. We need the Holy Spirit. And at three o'clock, I'm praying, God, come, come. And um, I was thinking about the Spirit and everybody came and we're all sitting around, we're talking. And I started asking them about the Holy Spirit and the things that they've seen, the things they've heard. And I said, you know, when we think of the demonstration of the Spirit and power, we automatically start thinking about seeing healings and blind eyes seeing and deaf ears hearing. And I want to see that too. But the greatest miracle is a heart that is transformed. And literally, the old passed away and everything became new. That's the greatest miracle. I don't need my eyes healed, my ears healed. I need my heart to be transformed from glory to glory. That is the miracle. And and I was just talking to them about that. And, And I said, when was the last time? And I said, I'm not asking you to give me an answer. I'm not doing that to you. This is between you and the Lord. But when was the last time that you became hungry for God and you started spending time with him at night and in the morning when no one else was around and you said, Lord, I got to have more of you. And you waited until, until suddenly something from heaven came in and God manifested himself in your heart in such a powerful way that when you came out of your bedroom, or you came out of the closet, or you came out of wherever you were when God hit you, that you were from that point on never the same again. That literally there was a transformation. I'm going to ask you, when was the last time that happened? I'm not asking you the last time you felt tears coming down. I'm talking about when was the last time you were in the presence of God, and when you came out, Another part of you died. And all of a sudden, it was God alive in you. You say, Pastor Kurt, it doesn't happen that way. Really? Where do we get that idea? When we are first introduced to the Apostle Paul, he is consenting to the death of the very first martyr in New Testament history, Stephen. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians who followed Jesus. And he was bent on one thing destroying the church of Jesus Christ. He hated it. He wreaked havoc. The Bible actually speaks that when he would breathe, he would breathe out hatred and breathe it back in again. He was actually creating an atmosphere of absolute, total hatred to Christ and his church. And he just couldn't wait to arrest Christians, persecute them, kill them. He wanted to stop Christianity. And then one day, he met Jesus on the way to Damascus. 
And so dramatic was the transformation in his life that literally he went from hunting Christians to being hunted as a Christian. And you know what's amazing is that you never read this. Paul, a year after his conversion, saying, I want to thank God that I've been saved for a year. And I used to kill 10 Christians a day. Now I'm down to five a day. You know, you never hear that. You never hear him say that he struggled again with killing Christians. He was changed by the power of Almighty God. Did he have to grow? Absolutely. Was there maturity? Without a doubt. But the old things had passed away and everything became brand new. When are we going to finally admit that the things that have been dogging us year after year after year are not a result of, I'm just not growing up enough. I've never truly met the power of the Holy Spirit of God in my life that has transformed me from glory to glory in Jesus' name. Can we admit we need power from on high? Can we just admit I need power? I don't know if you're there, but that's where I'm at. I cannot keep doing church as it's always been done. The days that we are living in require that we have a deeper commitment to God and to His Holy Spirit. And so all I can ask you is if you know with me that you need a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit, would you come to this altar with me today as just a symbol of surrender and say, Lord, I'm coming to the end of myself. I'm done. I need the Holy Spirit. Stand, let's come if that's your heart. Come on, let's just come around this altar. Don't pray silently. If you're desperate, He'll know it. Lift up your hands, lift up your voices and say, Lord, come. Holy Spirit, I need a fresh impartation. You may not even know everything about it, but you know you're powerless. You know what you want to do, but you can't do it. But there is power in the Spirit to do what you